Well, good morning. How good is it to be here this morning, worshipping our God, witnessing some amazing baptisms, um, seeing young people declare their love for the Lord and their want to follow Him for the rest of their days. How good is it? It is amazing, isn't it? Praise God. Nick just about preached my sermon. So we can just either get him up to do it again or you can listen to me for a little while and I'll ram the point home. No, we've been, um, we're in the middle of a, a series. If you don't attend this church and you're watching online, we're in the middle of a series um, that's been called The Reset. And this series came about because of um, 2020 and so many people, and I said it numerous times, I wish 2020 would just go away or I wish 2020 we could just scrap it and start again because COVID really did, you know, it was like a pothole, a big one, and we're only just pulling out of it. It was something that, you know, got in the way of our life and we were like, well, you know, let's just start again. Let's get on with 2020 from afresh. But then Dave had a revelation and it was a wonderful revelation from the Lord himself. If we believe that God is in control of all things, then surely this 2020 and this corona business is part of God's plan. And in that, we've got lessons we can learn. So instead of trying to scrap 2020, how about we reset 2020 and get back to some of the basic things that God calls us to do as people. And the first one Dave preached on um, was, um, was prayer two weeks ago. And last week he spoke an absolute cracking sermon. If you haven't listened to it, jump on and listen to it. And it was around um, our mindset and our reset of praise. And praising God when the times are good, but praising God also when the times are tough. And that's something that's extremely difficult to do. And it would have been great to hear Andy, but if you catch up with Andy Stark and Donna and ask him about their story, because God is doing amazing things through them uh, in a bad time and a time in their life where things weren't exactly going well. And God must be given all the glory for that. And um, we come to a passage this morning um, that just, I didn't know that Nick was getting baptised and Tash were getting baptised this morning. Dave didn't know it was going to happen when he set this passage and this, this ser um, sermon series in place. But this morning's um, verses and uh, what we're going to be looking at from Hebrews is from Hebrews 13, 7 to 10. And to give you some background on what's going on um, during this time is that what's happening is the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people are in this real struggle and they're struggling because they know that Jesus died on a cross but they also know that in order to be saved and in order to be free from their sin they also used to have to do all of these uh, ceremonial acts and they had to follow this way of life and this law in order to earn God's favor and what had happened was um, what was happening is they were saying, well, I know Jesus has died on a cross and um, it's okay, we know a bit about grace, but we feel that we still should be doing these things in order to gain salvation. And I can sort of understand a little bit where they were coming from. We get so stuck in our ways sometimes and they were doing this thing for so long and then this, this thing happened, this amazing thing happened and then all of a sudden their thoughts and their theories were turned upside down and someone said to them no longer Jesus said to them no longer do you need to do that for I have come so that's where we find ourselves this morning in this passage the writer of Hebrews is reminding and encouraging the people and the leaders that the new covenant that is found in Jesus so Jesus dying on the cross and what all that entails is in fact 
all that we need. If you've got your Bibles with you, we can open to Hebrews 13, 7 to 9. And if you've been at this church before and I've been standing up the front, there's something I can never do, and that's read the Bible because I can't actually see it. So I went down to um, the optometrist, optometrist, which is on the run, and, uh, got, <laughs> and got some advice from them there, which they gave me absolutely none. I went through, picked out a few glasses. Some made like made Cam look like an elephant over here. So I thought, no, we, we don't want them there. Too too much magnification. And I eventually found some that work. So fifteen bucks, praise God. <laughs> but I won't be able to see you when I put them on. That's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm not sure. But here we go. How good do we look? <laughs> oh, good. Oh, here we go. Let's get back to the serious stuff. Hebrews 13 says, uh, 7 says, remember your leaders. If you've got a pen or a highlighter, highlight that word, remember. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, considering the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How good is this, this verse? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by the eating of ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who observe such rituals. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle, the tabernacle have no right to eat. Remember that word, remember. I want to sit on that word for a bit because it's important. For me, there are two kinds of remember. There's the man kind of remember, and that is this type of remember. My wife asks me, Joel, as I'm leaving to go out to work, now I own and run my own business, so I'm a busy man. So I've got lots of things in my head that I need to try and remember during a day. But Carmel, my beautiful wife, as I pick the keys up, can say to me, Joel, can you please put the bin out on your way to work? By the time I get to my ute, I have forgotten to put the bin out. And she gets frustrated. Um, but basically, my brain doesn't think that that's an important thing to remember for some reason, probably because I've got so many other things I'm trying to remember, so it just lets it go. The kind of remember that the writer of the Hebrews is talking about is another kind of remember, and that is, I'll tell you a story, when I was in year seven. And when I was in year seven, I wore cute little glasses. I'm not actually sure why I ever stopped wearing glasses, to be honest, but I did. But I wore these little glasses, and... Back in my day, bullying wasn't really stamped out, so it was free range. So when I, was, when I had the glasses on, I knew I was going to cop a bit, but I copped more than a bit. They were cute little square ones, and people used to call me things that I think are quite funny now, four eyes and goggles and all of that sort of thing. But I assure you, back when I was in year seven, I didn't think they were that funny. And there was this one group of boys that would continue to um, do this to me. And in the end, I'd had enough of them, so I fought back and, you know, got into a few tussles. And they said, right, I know where you live. I know where you ride your bike home. We're going to catch up with you after school one day, and we're going to bash you up. And I thought, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so anyhow, days went past, nothing happened. And I was, one day, I was riding my little push bike, a black and yellow push bike home from school with my blue school bag. You see, I remember this for a reason. My little blue school bag was on my back and I had my little goggles on. 
and I was cruising home and then riding along the bike track near the basketball stadium in Bordertown on the way home, three young lads jumped out of the trees, out of the bushes. They, I jumped off my bike and I didn't know what I was going to do, but they grabbed my bag and they threw my bag into the bushes. They grabbed my bike and they threw that into the bushes and they said, now we're going to bash you up. And then I heard, well, I think it was what the, the saviour's voice would sound like, but it was a rattly old push bike coming down the bike track and I turned around and it was my older, two-year-older brother, Travis, coming on the push bike and I thought to myself, now we're on. <laughs> well, the rest is history. Those boys never picked on me again. <laughs> Praise God for that. But there's a reason why I remember that story and it's because it had a great impact on my life. And we'd all have stories that have great impacts on our life and we can remember every single detail of those stories. And that's the remember the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. You know, fame in the worldly sense lasts one generation. So fame in the worldly sense lasts one generation. I'll prove it to you. Put your hand up here if you know who Patrick Rafter is. No, there's not too many kids with their hands up. I played tennis with Patrick Rafter. I thought I was, I thought I was pretty cool. He was the world number one at that time in tennis. So I had a hit of tennis with Pat Rafter. I thought it would be a great thing to bring to youth group and tell the youth one day. I told them and they all looked at me like, who is that? <laughs> they don't remember Patrick Rafter. Fame in the worldly sense lasts one generation. Where are we building our fame? You know, these guys are talking about remembering people who had a huge impact on other people's life because of one reason. They shared the word. We can be so easily swayed this way and that way by the world's wants and pulls and teachings on our life. It tells us to do one thing one minute, one thing the next minute. And I believe as Christians, Satan actually uses it as a tool to tear our focus and our concentration away from Jesus, away from the truth of the gospel and away from the word of God, which actually leaves us confused. It actually leaves us not knowing what's true and not what's true. And we, we have no idea what we should be able to say in public, what we should be able to write on Facebook, what we should be able to do here because we are confused. One minute we're chasing this path, the next minute we're chasing this path, we're all over the place. We're called to remember and imitate our leader's faith. And it's not because they were amazing people. They weren't great business people who made lots of money and we should look up to them for that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's not because they were wonderfully made and gorgeous model-like people and we should remember them. It's not because they, you know, they played half-back flank for Jerusalem A-grade. It's not because they opened the bowling and the batting for Damascus. All the things we think are great things. But it's because, and we're called to remember them, because of the word they shared. It's the word of God. Because in that word, we find hope and hope in Christ. 1 Peter 1.3 said, Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again through a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope, people are trying to find hope in so many different things today. The living word of God tells us there's only one place 
we can try and we can find true hope and that's in a relationship with Jesus we remember them because they reflected the character of Christ 1 Corinthians 10:31 through to 11:1 says so whatever you eat and drink or whatever you do do it for the glory of God do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, I'm not seeking for my own good, but the good of many, so that many may be saved. Follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. And we are called to remember them because they shared the word of God. Last week, Dave shared this passage, and I'm going to share it again. It comes from Hebrews 4.12. And it says, for the word of God is alive and it's active. This is the word of God. And it's alive and it's active. What's written in here aren't just words on pieces of paper. They have the ability to transform our lives. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. The Romans designed the two-edged sword. And they designed it with two edges so it would cut in both directions. There's a reason the writer uses this as a way to describe the word of God because it's a weapon that we can use to cut down through, cut through and cut down all the world's garbage in which it throws at us. And it penetrates even to the, to, to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. To be a leader... It comes with a heavy weight. And again, Dave preached on it a few weeks ago about leadership. The leader's role is to feed the flock the word of God. Put your hand up if you're a parent. Your job and your role is to feed the flock. As a parent, you are a leader. Sure, your kids come to church once a week for one hour. And we, we promise you here at this church that we feed them the word of God during that one hour. But what's happening for the rest of their life at home? We as parents are leaders. What are we showing our children by the way we live, by the way we talk? You know, I talk sometimes to my kids and I'm not proud of it. Thankfully, we are forgiven. <laughs> but what are we teaching our kids? Are we, have we got that mindset of leadership? And in that mindset of leadership, are we sharing the word of God with them, the hope that is only found in Christ? And are we reflecting the character of Christ? It's a challenge for me too. Don't worry about that. I'm not just standing here as a parent saying that I've got it all worked out because I definitely don't. Teachers, your leaders. If you teach in a school, I know you can't just stand up the front and say, Repent of your sins and believe in Christ and you'll be saved. Be good if you could. But the way you live, the way you act, the way you talk to those children in that classroom can be vastly different from the way any other teacher does it. So you're a leader because you're reflecting the character of Christ in a school. And employers, if you're an employer here, I'm an employer, we are leaders. For me, employing people and running a business is one of the hardest things to be a Christian leader in because you're running on the line of being a good Christian person and making money and you're running on the line of being a bad Christian person and running with greed. How can we be a leader in that environment? There's a big pool. People are saying, well, churches are becoming business. 
Well, I believe that businesses should be becoming churches. That we should be proclaiming through our actions, not, not standing out the front. You don't have to, you can. I don't know how it will go for you if you stood out the front of your shop and just preached the word of God. You can give it a go. But through our actions, through our words, through the way we speak, the compassion we have for people. We're sharing the love and the hope that comes only through Christ. Nick and Tash, what an amazing thing to be part of. The baptism of these two amazing young people. What they did this morning was an act of sacrifice, submission and an act of leadership. Those 20 kids that were sitting there watching them be baptised will remember. That is etched in their memory. Why is it etched in their memory? Because they're proclaiming the word of God through what they did. So it matters. What they did matters. It's not about Nick and Tash. Nick stood here and said that. It's about proclaiming Jesus through what they're doing. We're going we're gonna to jump on to verse 9 and 10, um, and we'll come back to verse 8 in a moment's time. But if you've got your Bibles, open up. And I've named, titled verse 9 and 10, no ands, ifs and buts. I don't know if that's good English, bad English. Wouldn't be good if it was from me. Verse 9 says, and 10 said this, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating, uh, the eating of ceremonial foods, which has no benefit to those who observe such rituals. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. As I said before, we, we started by saying that the Jewish leaders were struggling with this. That's why this passage, this verse, these two verses are in there. They were struggling with the adding on to what was required to be saved, to be forgiven, to be made right with God. However, as we read there, the, Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrews is quite stern about pulling them up on this fact. That it is better for our hearts to be full of grace. And some people and some churches have fallen into this trap where they, they've preached and taught. And you've maybe been even told this before in other churches that in order to be a follower of Jesus and in order to be part of a church, you must do this or you must be that. You must speak a certain way. You must look a certain way. You must give up smoking. You must give up swearing. You must, you must give up drinking. Before you come here, what you're asking that person to do is be perfect before they come. That's not grace, that's religion. And we should stamp out religion wherever possible. It is not helpful to the work and the growing of the kingdom of God, and it's not helpful for our church. Because I'll tell you why because people can find religion anywhere in the world, they can find it in a footy club, they can find it in a social club. They'll find it in their workplaces. They'll find it on social media everywhere. But here, in the living word of God, and here in this church, which is Hills Baptist, people will find grace. They will find hope and they will find forgiveness. 
Because if we're adding anything to the gospel message, if we say anything on top of you need to do this in order to be saved, we are saying that the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the grace of God is not good enough. Well, who is it for a group of sinners to come up with new plans of what is and is not required to be in the kingdom of God? What have we? We are just sinners saved by grace ourselves. You know what it would be like? It would be like us saying we're going to have a men's ski day down the river and um, you can come along, but you have to be able to barefoot. Like if you can't barefoot, you're not coming. Well, we would never say it. So why do churches say it? Why do they? Because they want control. They want to play God for a little while. It's not about that. It's about the grace. And Ephesians 2 Verse 1 and 10 puts this argument very uh, much to bed about what we are saved by. I'll just find it. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying our cravings of a sinful nature and following the desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of great God's, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and raised up and God raised us up with Christ and seated him uh, in the, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is grace that you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God not by works, so no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you go to Growth Track, which Dave talked about a little earlier on, you'll hear some words that are a, a sort of a, a motto for our church. And that is that you would belong, that you would believe, that you would become and then you would build. What the Jewish people and, and a lot of people have made the mistake of doing, they, they would put, you must become, you must believe, then you can belong to this church, and then we will try and build you and make you into something. That's not what the gospel tells us. The gospel says you come through that door, a sinner, a mess, smelly, whatever the case may be, you can belong to this church family. We are a family. Then as you hear from the pulpit the word of God preached and you interact with other Christians who are shining the grace of God, you begin to believe. And when you believe, then you start to become. All right, That's when the transformation happens. It's not up to us as humans who are not perfect anyway to change someone into something that is perfect. When they believe, they start to become the person that God has created them to be. And after that, they start to build the kingdom of God as they can't help 
but share what he's done in their lives. Don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with reading books to get information and inspiration. There's nothing wrong with going on the internet, Instagram. Uh, perhaps there is something wrong with some of them, but... <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with gaining information and inspiration from other areas. But this book is the only place you'll find transformation for your life. Because this book is alive. The words in here are alive. They're God-breathed and the Spirit uses them in mighty ways. I'm going to get Lee and the band to come back up as we come to a close. And the final verse, we're going to go back to verse 8. And when I read this verse, when Dave gave me this passage, I smiled. And my heart was happy. Because this verse says Jesus is the same yesterday. He is the same today. And he is the same forevermore. How good is that? As we sit here this morning and we watch what happened there in the, the waters of baptism, as we worship together to know that the God we are worshipping, our Lord and Saviour, has been the same. Not Yesterday's not the day, not like Saturday. Yesterday is eternal. It's eternity. He's the same today. He's the same tomorrow. And he's the same eternally in the other direction. That's the God we worship. He's not up and down like the world. He's not up and down like our emotions. He is the same. And his grace is sufficient for us. It says in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. We believe that the Word of God, we believe that Jesus was there in the beginning. It states it there. It says, then the Word became flesh. Jesus walked this earth. He then died on a cross. And he died on a cross for our sin and our salvation. The thing, the very thing that separated us from God. Jesus stood right between us and said, I have made a way. I have made a way to the Father. I want to read from Revelation 1.17. It says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. This is Jesus talking. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's our Lord and Saviour. We know that, don't we? We know that here at Hills, and if you don't know it, I pray that you will know it. But what about the people out there? They're running around trying to find salvation, belonging and hope in all sorts of weird and wonderful places. I shared this at youth at, at, when I was preaching there a couple of weeks ago and I said I was driving home in my car the other day and I heard on the radio that they did it a, uh, not an interview, a survey and they surveyed three or four hundred people and the survey was on how many people listen and read horoscopes and apply it to their life. And I was like, well, surely not many. Those things are ridiculous. 63% of people surveyed listen and apply what is said on that horoscope to their life for that day. I nearly crashed the car. I find it mind-blowing that we have a book 
that is alive, that has the ability to cut through, be careful, the, the uh, garbage <laughs> of what the world is throwing at us, including horoscopes. Yet it's not just meant for church. It's not just meant for here at Hills. It's meant for other people to hear it. And in our small group, in, in our youth group, we spoke about this thing and Aaron brought it up. And it was about this idea of an archery course. And this hit home to me like never before. And what the world is like and what's going on today is we're playing a game of archery. Except when we pull a, a, one of our arrows out and we aim it at the target and the target says success, it says possessions, it says relationships, it says love, it says whatever. We aim at all these things and we're pretty good at archery. But what happens is we let go of our arrow and just as it gets to that target, that target moves out the way. Every time we pull the arrow back, that target moves out the way. All the things that we think are going to make us happy, we can't hit. We can never quite get them. They're always too far for us to reach. When I tell you this morning, there is a target that never, ever moves. And it sits, like Nick said, it sits above those other targets and we don't often see it because we don't lift our eyes high enough to see it. But on that target, there is a cross. And there's a cross and it says on that cross, it says, Jesus. And under that, it says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Each person has been created, you might have heard this before, with a spot in their life, a part of their life, a part of their heart, their soul, that nothing else will ever fit, but only Jesus will fit in it. We try and stuff all types of things in that hole, but none of them last. They all pass. I want to challenge you guys this morning. As we sing and we worship, I reckon there's people here with one arrow left in their archery bag. As you pull that arrow out, as you pull that bow back, what are you going to aim it at? If you've got one thing left that's meant to make you happy in life, that's meant to make to feel that hope that only the Lord can feel, to make you feel like you belong somewhere, what are you going to aim that arrow at? Are you going to shoot it at a V8 SSU? Are you going to shoot it at a new house? Are you going to shoot it at that new job that you got? Or are you going to lift your eyes a little bit higher and are you going to shoot it at that cross that will never move? Because my prayer for you and for each and every one of us and everyone that's walking around out there that doesn't know Jesus is they would pull that arrow back and hit it straight into Jesus. Because why? The work is done. Even if we could get to those things that we can't get to, they're still not finished. They're still striving. The work on the cross is finished. It is done. Jesus has done it. Jesus is unchanging. He's all-powerful and he's eternal. I tell you right now, it's only Jesus who can save you. It's only him that will keep you, and it's only him that can sustain you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning.
We just thank you for the two services we've had, the time we've been able to praise and worship you. Lord, I thank you for the baptisms we've seen and the way that that elevated you and pointed people to you. I thank you for Nick and Tash. I thank you for the amazing young people and the example that they are for you in our communities. And Lord, I pray for people that are struggling, that are struggling to find that hope, that are struggling to find the belonging and are firing arrows willy-nilly at things that just it won't stick to. I pray that they would fire that arrow at you, Lord, and they would hold tight to the grace that is only found in you. Lord, you are so good. Praise your name, in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.